Hi, I'm Mel Binion, the executive producer of Question Everything. And before that, I was always a music producer. With this series, we're going to look into the strenuous process of creating music, songwriting, arranging, tracking, editing, mixing, and most importantly, mastering, all help turn a single idea into a Grammy-winning song. This is the element of music with Larry Morris, this is Elemental. How's it going, buddy? It's good to be here. It's great. Wonderful day in St. Louis. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, you out of everybody I know, like, even Mastermind, too, but you, like, are a champion for St. Louis and St. Louis culture, so it's glad to, I'm glad to have you on. Just to show a little bit of, yeah, show a little bit of uh, what St. Louis is about. Man, we, we are the crossroads of America. Whether people want to give us that recognition or not, we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, front man of Philphonics, I was actually an extra in one of your music videos once, once upon a time. Uh, got a new project, Pipe Isley, that I really want to hear about. Oh, um, man. It's, 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 it's different. It's me and the artists <laughs> of Illphonics. We actually go way, way back. So we've been we've always played with ideas of doing a duo album with us, and we've yeah. kind of created them. But when we did our first in high school, no, that was for us. Nobody, we didn't know how to move no records. We just recorded. And I got a oh, funny yeah. story about that, but we'll talk about that later. And then the second time, we had the concept for the equalizers. We actually recorded some songs, but we just never got it out. So this is our first project that we're really going to actually do a full release. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to hear about it. So you want to just get straight into it? Uh, what is creativity to you? <sighs> creativity can mean many things to different people. I think for me, it's the autonomy to just be, right? And exist and make the things that feel real to you. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't think there's any constraints on creativity. I think it's all about how people perceive it, but it really doesn't matter if it's in your heart or it's what you do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that artists are the backbone of our culture and our society. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter how the job industry is. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world as far as conflict and turmoil. There's always art and there's always people who desire art, you know? And so having a plethora of individuals out in the world who can bring art to us in various forms, that's that's important, you know? I know there's a small, small percentage of the world they can't, Music does nothing for them, but for the greater majority, music is oh, everything. Everything, yeah. It's everything. It's the soundtrack to our lives. Visual art. A, a, a visual piece can make you emotional. It can enlighten you. It can empower you. You know, a good book can be something that puts you on the right path, or it can send you down the wrong road, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, I had both of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we can look at how... You know, Malcolm X went into prison and started reading the Quran and it put him in a different trajectory of his life. Or you can look at a person like Timothy McVeigh, who read the Turner Diaries and felt the need to go, unfortunately, bomb a building. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Art impacts us in such a very real and meaningful way. So creativity to me is existence. You know what I'm saying? There is no existence we are without create. Somebody was creative when they figured out how to rub sticks together to start that first fire. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, every creativity is the start of everything. And ex exactly uh, how did you get started with music? You know, it was funny, man. I have a song with Ilfine, it's called 96099, and that song, really speaks to my existence. I'm not an only child in the capacity that I do have half siblings and I'm close to my half siblings, we're good. I was raised in a home where I basically was just me and my mom. And I went through that period, that, that puberty phase where I was trying to figure myself out. I didn't know what was going on, you know. Unfortunately, my mother, well, not unfortunately, it rest my mother's spirit because she was the best mother she could be. My mother had me at 30. 
So by the time I was reaching that that age where I was, you know, all over the place, acne kicking in, you know, hormones starting to come in. My mother was reaching menopause. Right. So yeah. it was hell in the house. <laughs> you know, she worked a 15 a hour day and come in and she asked me to do something. And, you know, I'm a little young guy. I'm like, she like, I knock your teeth out your mouth. You know how I go. And so I couldn't have conversations with people about how I felt. So I turned to writing in a notebook. Okay. But writing in a notebook turned into what I thought was poems. And what ends up happening one day is I take this poetry book over to my grandmother's house and rest my grandmother's soul. My grandmother and my mother were, my mother, of course, I live with my mom, but my grandmother was very much a part of my life till she passed away. I'm over at my grandmother's house with this notebook. I remember it's a yellow notebook. And a friend up the street, his name was Derek. He was one of the, we, that family was huge, right? Yeah. He comes down and Derek was just funny, man. He, you know, shout out to Derek. I think he's like in Idaho. He like does towing. No, he's in Indiana, towing and stuff. But he looks at the notebook. He picks it up and starts reading. He say, I don't know if I can curse on here, can I, or whatnot, you know? Uh, go for it. <laughs> no, no, I, I watch my mouth. Me, I was just gonna repeat what he said verbatim. He like Negro. He say Negro. These is raps. And so what happens is he starts bringing what he's writing, and we're reading against each other, right? And I start writing more because it's a competitive thing for me now. Like I gotta write something cooler than him. But then it turns into a for myself. How can I top what I'm writing? I didn't understand nothing about meter, rhythm, nothing. I was writing lyrics. And if you read a lot of my first lyrics, I don't think that the bar counts were very good when it comes to syllables. It was more of um, me just trying to use big words because I was always a smart kid. But somehow towards middle school, it converts into me making this stuff off the top of my head. And I discovered I had a knack for it. And it was weird because people were like, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just, I just found a way to rhyme with physicality. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, you know, because I was reading a lot as a child. And so me and him would start going back and forth. And we were both really good. It was epic. We would later become in our neighborhood some of the premier MCs. And this is uh, U-City, right? This is U-City. I grew up in University City, Missouri. That's correct. And so it just carries on. And by the time I get to middle school, I start finding people who also are doing the same thing. And, you know, it was a lot of good ones, but I was one of the, the, the ones that everybody was like, he's really good. And I think it became serious to me when I got to high school. So I got to give this story to give the context of how it all begins. So I'm rhyming. And by then I've become friends with a guy. His name's uh, Jamel. But um, he went by the name of Tech Thug. It was the name I gave him because I try to create like, you know, this Wu-Tang scenario. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, we're in a freshman cafeteria. We're rapping. And two guys come over into the cafeteria from the senior cafeteria. So you got to picture this. There's a big cafeteria at University City that holds what, maybe what, I don't know, three, four hundred kids, you know. Then and there's a side cafeteria, which is the senior cafeteria. And if you didn't know the seniors or you wasn't cool, you couldn't go over there. That was literally for the seniors. Some juniors were over there. You had to be, you know, upper class. So these two dudes come over from the cafeteria and they come into the our cafeteria and I'm around at the round table and everybody rapping and they just standing there listening and they hear me. And so they pluck me. They say, hey, you come with us. The two guys that did it is a guy named Brandon Kelly. He's really known in St. Louis for roller skating and dancing. And the other one is an artist by the name of Thelonious Kryptonite, Corey Williams. Okay. Yeah, for a fetch. He's in New Orleans. He's still one of my best friends. So I go over to the senior cafeteria and they're over at this table, bro. And it's all these MCs. And Corey sits down with the Carmex in a pen and starts kicking the beat. I'm blown away. I'm already standing there at all because he's a drummer. So he's cold with it. I'm like, what am I watching? All these MCs 
start rhyming. And I mean, they are phenomenal. I mean, on some lyrical, miracle, individual, killing you type, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a freshman, bro. So I'm looking at this like, what? And my friend Jamel, he's there with me like, damn, they're freestyling. Now, these dudes are kind of important because they were a part of a clique they were called the Silent Assassins, but they would be a part of a clique called Soul Tide. And Soul Tide is where Black Spade in St. Louis comes out of, NATO Khalif. They all were a conglomerate. So I'm seeing the beginnings of this there. Uh, Kareem, shout out to him. He was a part of it. It was a lot of phenomenal. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, I can't even... Weatherman, Brandon Vaughn, he does clothing now. He was a part of that collective. I Listen, Cold Train, I, I could go on for days. They're rhyming and they are killing it. And I'm sitting there like, why do I do this? Then Corey starts rhyming. And Corey was the young gun of the group. And I mean, when I said Corey's flow was so amazing, I remember parts of it. He said something about I'm on point like a dagger. He was just killing it. He's like, I knock out your teeth where you can't bite back. I was like, oh, my God. They let me flow. And I did OK. I did OK. But they was like, yeah, you you want to come up? Yeah. All right. They wasn't like it wasn't like, damn, it was like, all right, there's potential. Oh, Bruh, yeah, yeah. After I left that cypher. I went to my classes for the day, and I'll never forget. I went home and pulled out the biggest dictionary out of my closet and sat there all night just writing rhymes. And I kept coming back to those ciphers. I kept getting good. And by the time I got to my sophomore year, I was in contingency because it just it, it became my sport, you know? And so. Uh, sophomore year, are we the same age? Is it, was it 2000, 2001? I graduated from U City in 2003, so roughly. Okay, 2003. Yeah. Yeah, well, I graduated 2003 as well. So, yeah, so we same age group. So, 99. And you got to also remember, I'm at U City during the time country grammar dropped. Oh, yeah. It's the sport. And all eyes are on St. Louis right now. All eyes are on St. Louis, which leads to me wanting to get in the industry. And so, my buddy Keith, who's in Ilphonics, He'd start bringing, he would bring a keyboard to school and play it. And me and him had a class together. And you're going to love this because of where you're from. So I'm in class one day. We're in um, advanced lit. Of course, I'm an MC in advanced lit, right? And I start singing a song. I love the element surprise. I'm taking these lies with my customer, my four five. And he starts singing it with me. We're singing Twisted and Speed, Not Mobsters, Warm Embrace. Oh, yeah, yeah. We just started rapping it, and the teacher like, "Y'all need to cut that out." And we like, "We daring motherfucker to say my name because I put a bullet in your close skin just to get under your skin." Like, I mean, we hitting it with each other. We got put it in school that day. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you did. <laughs> but me and him, it, it forged a bond as a friend that it's, it, we still to this day. He started bringing the keyboard to the cafeteria, and I was kicking beats. I start learning how to do it. And U City rap sessions became a whole thing, bro. I can't even describe how deep it was. And so him and I, we start recording. I start buying equipment, and we would sit in my house all weekend. Like Keith lived with me almost. And my mama would feed him. She'd make him mop floors and clean up. Like <laughs> he was her children. Yeah, yeah exactly. And we would just start recording and we was trying to cut demos. We got a chance to get in front of Nelly's lawyers. He didn't, he thought that I could rhyme, but he didn't think the demo was the best. The quality of it wasn't good. We was on a task cam, four track recorder. It was only three tracks. So I had to bounce oh, yeah. everything over. You know how I go. Yeah, I was telling, uh, Chris was the last interview. I was telling her that I used to, I started piano on a tape cassette, recording it to the tape cassette. So yeah, man. <laughs> It's like whatever the boombox could hear, That's that was our demo. Yeah, man. Keith would sit there and make beats on the Radio Shack keyboard my grandmother bought. But this was the funny thing. For the actual drum line, he would have to plug it in note for note. So with him plugging it in note for note, we only had so much memory. So the songs couldn't be no longer than about, what, four or five minutes? And yeah. then we would be able to get two additional tracks. 
So we would do the drums, put it on the tape machine. Then I would have him play the part and he had to play it right. He couldn't mess up because we couldn't go edit it. He would play it. <laughs> if he messed up, we had to run it again. So we got really good at that. And then we would do two or three parts, put it on tape. Then, you know what I'm saying, do another one that I would bounce it down. So you, you diminish the sound quality a little bit. But the one thing about a task cam and a tape machine is that the drums always hit. They were always right because of that saturation. Then I would free up two tracks to do a, a vocal line. And then under that vocal line was your under and that was your, your, your tape. And then, you know, I didn't have a computer at the time. So we would have to get creative on how we would get it recorded. So I go over to my friend Dorian's house and try to put it on CD. The sound quality was trash. It was really bad, but you know, it's what we did. And then we met, do you know Zach Steele? Uh, no, I I don't re recall the name now. He's a big engineer out in LA. Um, he's worked with a lot of artists, but he went to U-City with us. So he saw what we were doing. He said, let me record your album. I got Fruity Loops and I got, what was it? It, it wasn't always, Adobe, it wasn't Adobe Edition. It used to be, cake, not Cakewalk. What was it? It used to be called something else. What, Acid? No, it was a name for it before it became um, Adobe Edition. It was another name for it, but I can't remember it. But we would go over there and we were recording our album and we would record with him. And we did our first album, 1 a.m. Because Keith would fall asleep in the studio, or in our little studio. Yeah, He'd wake up at 1 a.m. and just start playing a beat in his head and I would record <laughs> it. And yeah, man, it was, it, was, it was not the best sound recording. 60 hertz hum through the songs <laughs> and everything but now he's actually the engineer for pipe Isley. i think i recall that you went to well we both went to webster but your undergrad was in uh engineering right yeah or from recording like that did that like it's inspire you to do the engineering yeah so for me i remember still rapping a lot i wanted to go to the blaze battle in chicago I was going to figure out how to get in the car with somebody and go up there. And I'm when I say battle, I, I was a good battle rapper. That's kind of where I made, I cut my teeth. But, um, but it was a different type of battle rap, right? It was the 30 second rounds, one minute rounds off the top of the dome. So I'm standing in front of me yeah. talking about what I see, you know, and I was good at it. I, I, I think anybody who was around me at the time could attest to that. I was pretty decent at it. So I wanted to go, try my hand up in Chicago. And I remember telling my mama that, and my mom was like, you ain't going to no goddamn Chicago to do no blaze battle. You go go to college. <laughs> and so by this time, I knew that I, I wanted to be an astronaut and an engineer, but my math wasn't as strong. It's funny, my math is way better now than it was then. And I just didn't think I could do that. You know, I don't know if it was self-doubt or just the realization that I'm going to go to an engineering school if they accept me, and I'm going to struggle like hell. <laughs> you heard me. Yeah. Started looking around for the things that are aligned with what I like. And I was like, I'm already recorded in Webster at the pro man at the time, Webster's music programs, especially the audio and the jazz programs, were like comparable to New York, Chicago, and LA. They were really, really good. And our audio program at the time I was there ended up being the best program at that time. So I said, I'm gonna go to Webster. They accepted me. And I started on my long journey of audio engineering school at Webster. But Webster was transformative in my life in many ways. I, I couldn't have made a better decision when it comes to, like, my oh, overall yeah. trajectory. Yeah, I said, like, I originally wanted to go to Ohio State, but, like, my high school turned my application in late. So I ended up at uh, SIUE for my undergrad. It was like, I didn't even know where Southern Illinois was. I thought I was going to Carbondale. Didn't know there was two schools. Like, I didn't even realize, I didn't realize there was two schools until, like, I map quested it. It's 2003, map quested it, and made a wrong turn and ended up in St. Louis. It was like, I know Carbondale isn't this close to St. Louis. <laughs> uh, so we'll take a break right here. So I know you talked about using a dictionary uh, to start writing your lyrics. I, I just want to know when you first have a thought about any song you're creating, where do you go as a songwriter? 
It's funny, man, that you asked that because I don't believe in writing songs. I believe songs write themselves. And so once I hear a good track, you know, I think in our world, there's a lot of misconceptions and myths about writing. It's a lot of people who sit in a room with four or five other people and come up with songs. It's a lot of people who say that they're freestyling, but they got somebody who's giving them the demos and they're recording what they're hearing. You know what I'm saying? Don't get me wrong. You have some people who are anomalies and they go in and they really do that. But I think the greater percentage of people who are writing songs, there's there's processes or processes that go on behind the scenes that if you've been in the industry long enough, you know, to be true. And so I'm not an artist that leans on a bunch of songs. I lean on the quality of my songs. Now, as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at pumping them out quicker, but it is what it is. So for me, the music has to move me first. I like good music. If I hear that music, then I take that music. And then a lot of my time is spent not even working on the rhyme. It's working on the melody and the hook. So I hear a beat and be like, I'll just be just scatting, making up stuff. And when I hear the right melody, then we start cooking. Then I'll build my hook. I'll come up with a hook. And then once I come up with my hook, writing rhymes is easy now. You know, it's just a matter of how I want to go about it. The process can take anywhere from one day. Sometimes I get the music and automatically, especially when I'm writing for TV and stuff like that, it's not as deep as when I'm writing personally. I might have that song done within two or three hours. It just depends. But there have been songs that I have worked on for almost a year. You know, no, absolutely. I back to it. I keep coming back to it. And then one day I'm washing the dishes. Boom. Another day I'll say something out loud and I'll be like, that could work. Boom, you know, and sometimes you with other people and they'll say something, you'd be like, aha. So that's my process for writing. You know, I'm I don't even try to act like I'm out here emceeing writing notebooks full of rhymes anymore. Yeah. I, I really don't, you know, but I'm actively thinking of things to write. And when the time comes and the music hits me, I'm ready to go. I bank it, you know. As a rapper, do you try to be more of a storyteller or more of like a lyricist? You know, what's funny, man, is that I've heard people say you don't get the credit you deserve. And, you know, I'm OK with that because I tell people I have a rhyme where I said I'm a little bit over your head, like orbiting satellite. A lot of the stuff I'm talking about, you got to be well read on to get what I'm doing. Also, for me, I am a very, very good at double entendres. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you really sit and listen to stuff I say, there's usually a double meaning in it. Now, I'm not going to claim I'm a Lupe fiasco or anything like that. Like even as a great MC, I recognize the levels to this, but you know what I'm saying? I think I'm, 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 I'm very solid at what I do. You know what I mean? And yeah. I can be very lyrical miracle. Like I got songs where indiscriminate you started, I'm a finish it, fission of the nucleus, evacuate the premises. You know what I'm saying? I can do it, but I also oh, yeah. have, you also have songs where it's, you know, it's, it's simple, you know, get your hands up, get on the dance floor, have a good time. You know, we got soul type stuff. It just depends on when I'm writing for the band, what the mindset is. When I'm writing for myself or for my own side projects, I take a lot more liberty on what I do, you know? All right. Uh, so do you, when you're working with the band or when you're working on a song, do you participate in a lot of the arranging? Like, do you play any instruments? It's funny. People think Ill Phonics is a band with the MC. We are all in the same room working on the songs. I have had just as much input on the music as they have on the lyrics. They might say to me, this is the subject that we want to talk about. Okay. I'll write it. You know, they've come up with some of the hooks, you know. Okay, cool. I've written songs for artists in the group the same. You know what I'm saying? It's fine. We are a, a, a hip hop fusion band. It's not an MC with a hip hop fusion band. You know, yeah. Purple Piano Society, I'm very much involved on the tracking of the drums and the putting that stuff together. I was very much in a room during the making of that. I have a lot of input on the way that, you know, we kind of engineer certain things, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all of us. I would be a liar if I was, you know, do I write on every song? Absolutely. But... It's very much a team effort, 
you know, it's we we're all in it. Now, some artists in the group have more songs that have made it through than others, but everybody gets feedback and everybody yeah. gets him. So it's it's a group, it's a unit when we're when we're together. So so since you're you're an artist and you're you have an engineering side, uh, when it comes to tracking, are there are there any practices that you try to implement or try to avoid? Yeah, I try to stay away from the engineering when I'm working on my personal stuff. I allow good engineers to engineer my projects. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I understand what they're talking about and what they're doing. I can hear it, you know, but I just feel like when I'm in a creative space, I don't want to be, you got artists. You want to keep it separate. I do. You got artists who want to have a hands on every single element of it. And I'm cool with those that are like that. I'm a little bit different. You know, I'm not, I'm not as far on the spectrum as Tupac, like throw up a beat. I don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? I just want to yeah. rap, but I'm also not on some Kanye. You know what I'm saying? I got to, you know, sit there and hear everything. Oh man. I went to his, uh, I'm sorry. I went to his, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the opera, hip hop opera at, uh, at, uh, Hollywood, uh, you know, outside, I can't remember the name of it, but, uh, like he was literally like, while we were while we were coming in, two hours before the show, you heard him out there like telling like telling people what to do, when to do it there, like completely hands on. It was like they were rehearsing like twenty minutes before the show. Yeah, and I can be that way when it calls for it. But most of the time, man, I believe in hiring and working with the people who do the job that you need them to do. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I got more comfortable doing that because I used to be do everything myself now. Like I can hire all the musicians and tell them like, this is what I need from you. I don't, and then I'll send it to an engineer and like literally it does, to a point where I don't feel like I'm being creative anymore, but I know I am. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, um, that's exactly it. And, you know, and I think for me, I really like hiring and working with people who are good at what they do. Our communication is clear. I can be upfront with them on what I like and what I don't like. You know what I mean? And we work together as a unit to put it together because historically, if we really look at it, nobody does it alone. You know, there's always oh, arguments with the greatest, the greatest people. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On is a legendary album. He's a genius. Yes, he is. And he wrote a lot of those lyrics. But he also had Bongo Bryan, James Jameson, and a lot of great musicians that played on that album. You know, Michael Jackson. I think he's the greatest story of a team effort. You got Quincy Jones as your executive producer, okay, and your main producer. You got Bruce Wedeen, who's your engineer, who's one of the phenomenal engineers of our lifetime, okay? You got the best world-class musicians from people from Toto on down to uh, Sadia Garrett, if I said her name correct, helping you write songs. You hear me? Even Stevie Wonder was in the studio at some point with him. He assembled amazing teams that brought that pro those projects to life. You hear me? So I think I take a very Michael Jackson approach to my music these days. Who can I assemble like Voltron that will help me kick ass in the universe, you know? And don't get me wrong. You got people like Prince who can he, do it all. Yeah, do it all. I don't think your brilliance comes in your ability to do everything. I think the brilliance comes in your ability to recognize what you can't do and who you can turn to to make that come to fruition that's leadership and when it comes to mixing and mastering you you don't do it your own do you do it your own no nah, not these days i pay somebody yeah. <laughs> i pay somebody who has more of an ear because that's another thing even though i'm an engineer what i tell people is that i am equipped with theory I understand microphone placement. I understand sound. All of that stuff has never left my head. We can talk about um, the, the Fletcher Munson curves and all that. I know all that. That never leaves your brain. But the industry is changing all the time. And I'm at a place in my life where I be help build infrastructure for artists. 
And I am still involved in music in a capacity that I'm very much a, a strong creative. But when it comes to the engineering side of it, when it comes to the, the plugins they're using and the, the tricks of the trade, I'm not up to date on that like I used to be. I hear things through the grapevine and I'm like, that's really dope. But I'm not there. So I lean on the people who are still in the industry oh, yeah. who are doing it. They take the music. They say, hey, this is good. OK, can you make it sound like what it needs to sound like in two ways? Can we make it sound like something that's going to go through some ear pods, which are terrible for listening to music, but we all do, them, you know, or and can you make it sound good for an audio file? Who's going to go get them Sennheisers or Grottos and put them over their head? And they're going to be like, oh. Okay, this sounds good. So yeah, it's crazy because like I got like, I think I have now. I just bought these, so I have seven pairs of headphones <laughs> for different occasions. So I have the Sennheisers when I'm like mixing stuff, but then I have like three other type of Bluetooth head headphones that I need for different situations. That's it, man. You're a real, you're a real musician and you're a real artist and. We, we do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can listen to mixes now and be like, this is trash. That's industry standard. But a 16-year-old kid, 95% of them are not listening to a mix like, man, the way they put those guitars in the back, man. We're, we have, I don't know if it's we, but the industry is now at a place where the 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 it's like a glass of wine, right? Good people who buy good glasses, uh, they they buy wine like the flavor. They chew it. They 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 taste it. It's an experience. I think music at this current juncture has moved far away from that. Unfortunately, there's a few of us who still listen to music for those elements, but I think the greater consumer base is not going to go get in vinyl to hear how Alan Parsons used DBX compressors to lower the noise floor so the album is quiet between parts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think they're there. I think they can just roll over on a Friday at 9 a.m. Uh, big artists will drop a project and they can just put their earbuds in and listen to it, and there you go. You know, different world. And then listen to a new project the next week. Like completely forget about it, cause like I was I was I was forced to argue about Drake's new album. I was like, it's I was telling them that it's not good. He only gives you maybe two songs from each album that may be memorable, and like for the last album for my dogs, like the only song I told them like after a week, the only song you'll be listening to. Is first person shooter with J. Cole. And then I listened to the song. J. Cole is on the first, like the first half of the song. And like I always turn it off when the beat switches. And I just realized that Drake only rapped six bars before the beat switches. So the first half of the song is just J. Cole. Yeah. I mean, bro, I, I'll, I'll say this. When Drake first came out, I was one of his biggest fans. No, absolutely. His first three albums, I loved, like, completely. I thought that Drake was going to change the trajectory of the industry because he had so much oomph as an individual artist. He ended up signing a major deal. Personally, I would have liked to see him stay independent because I think that the record labels would have had to change course with an artist like him being independent, but that didn't happen. I think what a lot of people don't understand, though, is that there's being a creative, there's making music, and then there's being in the music industry, yeah. right? As a creative, you know, you can experiment with music as much as you want. It don't matter for you. You know what I'm saying? But I in the industry, does it sell? That's exactly it. And... I think there's people who the, the people that I love have found the balance, right? They're able to create music. They have a fan base and they can make a living off of it, but they might not be floating on a yacht out in Dubai, wherever the hell you hear me. And I just think that where we're currently at with music, the focus is on sales, right? The focus is on weekly streams or monthly uh, streams and all that. And I don't, 
feel that we've been in a period of music where many people have experimented, but this is the caveat, especially in hip hop. If you notice though, the artists that come up with concept albums, the artists that really lean into being authentic, like the Kendricks, the J. Coles and all that, the Big Crits, they actually are successful. Why? Yeah. Because we still desire to have a body of work. Yeah, uh, Andre 3000's new album, is, it literally outsold, like, it showed 15 albums it outsold already, and it's only been out for two weeks. Because, I, it's funny, my friend works for a record label, and I had this debate with him. I have the understanding that labels go after young folks because once they get young folks, they can stay with them for a lifetime, they can influence their listening habits, all that, right? Yeah. That's what I've been told. So if you're in the industry and you disagree with me, fine, that's cool, whatever the fuck. But I know that makes sense. But what I said to him was, as a, I turned 39 in January. I don't go looking for new music. I don't. That's true. I'm not going to yeah, disagree. Yeah, they say after, after you're 30, you stop listening to new music. Yeah, I, I don't always go looking for new music. But this is the funny thing. I often put my YouTube music on and I will play the music that I like, but I'm not always able to man it at the time. So sometimes based on the algorithm, it will suggest music to me. Right. And every so often something slips through the cracks where I'm like, what the <laughs> hell was that? Once I like it, I lean into it. It becomes a part of my life and my playlist. And what I told him was, I feel like you all neglect my age group. I got money to go to a concert. Yeah. We the ones that you should be like I could I could spend six hundred dollars on a Beyonce ticket and not not blink my eye. You, you took it right out of my mouth, bro. I'm willing to go buy that hoodie that's $75 for the group that I love. It's a different type of economics, right? It ain't five million streamers, but listen. You can go into a room like these artists, these stadiums, and they're not filling up, right? And some of these folks are buying merch, I'm for sure, but they're not getting their return on investment. Or you can be an artist where you can go play a 2,000-person room with people like me and you in there, and we done spent almost $150 each supporting you, not only ticket-wise, but we're buying your merch. We're, we're doing those things. And... I just think as an artist, I see where the industry is, and I'm proud of Andre for doing what made him happy. And I, as an artist, am at the point where I'd rather have 20,000 loyal fans than 1 million. I'm going to oh, yeah. make the music that I want to make. If you don't want to listen to it, go find something else, because there's 7 billion people on this planet. My theory is that if I can at least get 5,000 of them to like what I do and follow me, I've done something for my career, and that matters to me. Yeah, that's kind of like why I like what LaRussell's doing out in, a, out in Vallejo. Like, he even offers everything is pay what you want. Like, but it's like every one of his shows is sold out. Every, all of his merchandise still sells out. And it's like, he's doing like backyard shows with 200 people maybe, max, if he can fit that many in there. But, you know, he's he's still doing what he loves. He's still he's still selling. He's still streaming everything he, like it doesn't have to do the arena tours. And don't get me wrong, man. I understand the power of labels, right? Labels have bread. They have marketing teams. I get it. If you got a good deal with them and you can negotiate a deal that makes sense. OK, but the greater majority of the people that I've talk to who've been near labels alike. It wasn't advantageous for me. I thought it would be. You hear me. Yeah. So for, so for me, with all this technology and whatnot, and it's harder, but you have to be that way. You just have to figure out your lane, understand your audience. Right now with our Pipe Isley project, we're doing a lot of research on who do we feel this is going to land with the best. We have an idea, but we're doing our market research. We're not just throwing out music for the sake of it. If you just want to be a creative and pump music out, do what you want to do. Who gives a fuck? That's dope, right? Yeah. But for me, 
I needed to land in some people's laps that'll say, hey, I'm going to go show up to a show when it's time, right? So you just have to think about where you are as an artist and lean into what's real for you. And, you know, the industry is, 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 is ever-changing. I don't know what the next thing will be after streaming, but we're in the streaming age, and for better or for worse, they don't pay us enough through streaming, so I don't care for it. I can have my music there, but we know the truth. So, yeah, man, you, I think you already understand, and, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, be redundant. I just feel like, for me as an artist, you know, I care about putting out what matters to me, what I love, and serving the people who love what I love. And if I never sell a million records, but I'm able to say I've put out good music, I've gotten a chance to travel playing that music, and I love what I've put out, hey, <laughs> So when when you put out that music, when do you uh, exactly know that it's done? Like, when did you know that you don't have to edit it anymore, that it's a finished project? You know what? That's a tricky one, bro, because no project ever feels completely done. Like, I've done projects where we release it, and then a week later I listen to it, and I'd be like, I should have said that bar differently. <laughs> I could have yeah. made it better. But I think... For me, when I'm working on projects, my own, <clears throat> and whoever I'm working with, we can listen to it and say that feels good to us. That's when you typically want to let it go. Now, I ain't going to lie, Pipe Eyes, and you've been working on this for like two and a half years, but we've been real meticulous about it. I mean, we went through two, 300 beats, narrowed them down. Yeah. And then we had concepts. Then we threw those concepts out. Then we started experimenting in the studio, just making up hooks and stuff. We really took our time with this. Even now, we are pretty much getting it mixed. And there's one song that we like, we want to add a little bit more <laughs> into <Yeah>. it. <laughs> but I think our general consensus, Keith and I, is that it's done. You know what I mean? It represents what we want it to represent. And you know what? You can do too much trying to go too far. Sometimes you will overcook the cake. And so I think we just, we're done. It's just now a matter of getting it out the, the, the correct way for us. All right. Sounds good. And we'll take one more break here and uh, be back with a few more questions for you. All right. All right. I got a couple more questions for you. If you can go back and talk to your younger self, uh, is there any advice that you would give yourself? Yeah, man, of course. Um Work harder, not my work smarter, not harder. That's definitely the biggest one. You know, as I've gotten, as I, as I, as I have ascended in my life, there's always these misconceptions that the people who are successful are the ones that just work extremely hard and give up everything. And to some degree, that is true in some circumstances. But I've noticed that the people that I admire who are really successful, they have a, a strong work-life balance. And it's they know when to work harder and when to to step back. And I feel like I was just very much one of those young guys that was go, 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 go. I sacrificed relationships. I could have probably been married with kids. It was a few women that came in my life that I just breezed by because I was doing it. I could have been a more whole person. And don't get me wrong, I'm doing well. Therapy has helped a lot, and I've been through enough where I've learned and I've grown into the leader that I've become. But if I would have just been a little bit more conscientious of the work-life balance, I think I would have been in a different place. So I, I would like to say to anybody watching this who believes that it's all about sacrificing and just killing yourself to get there, you will find out in most cases that it's not the solution. Oh, absolutely. Like, I remember... Like, even when I came to L.A., it was like I just worked all the time. And it wasn't until the pandemic where everything slowed down and, like, all of the distractions were out of my life. It was like I could now focus on let me work just this much and let me, you know, save time for myself. Like, every every morning, it's like I wake up 4, 4 a.m. in the morning and, like, I don't do anything till 6 o'clock. Like the only thing I may do before six is like go to the gym, but that's still for myself. Yeah. Nah, bro. And I appreciate you saying that because people need to hear that. You know, if you're willing to, 
if, if, if your game is financial and you're willing to destroy yourself to get there, will you enjoy it when you get it? And like, really is like, I made, I made the most money like I've ever made in life in 2021 during the pandemic. It was like when I was doing that, because I also gave myself enough time to rest. That's it. You know, I apply that to my workouts now. You know, we are now in a day and age where people like no days off. That's for you, not for me. I'm going to recover. You hear me, yeah. you know, I'm going to just stay with the cadence and I'm going to make sure that I'm consistent. I do work very hard. There are days that I have long days. That's everybody. But you know what? When they say that I have days that I can use, I go on my vacations. When I can get out on that river and fish, I surely do. You know, when I can be in my garden and spend time with the people that I love, I take that. And when it's time for me to get it in, I go hard. I'm smart about how I go hard. You know what I'm saying? I'm ready. Oh, yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing that I would tell my young self is, you know, value that. And my mother and my father, and me and my father, we weren't the tightest, but he even said that to me. He said, son, you got to learn balance. And of course, I'm young. I'm like, and you ain't been around. So what the fuck are you talking about? You hear me. Right. But, my mother said some things to me before she left this earth. She basically said something along the lines of, I want you to move from surviving into thriving. And when I started to learn the art of saying no, when I learned the art of saying, I'm going to put me first when it comes to the things I want to do, when I learned the art of saying, you know what, I've worked 15 hours straight, I'm going to take eight off, <laughs> nine off, and just, just yeah. chill for a minute. Or, you know, maybe one week, I don't want to rap. Some weeks I don't really care to make music. I just want to hear the music I want to hear, you know? Right. Some days I don't want to eat chicken breasts or eat the healthiest things. I want me a good greasy burger. You hear me? Oh, yeah. I have been much more successful when I am working hard than anything. So that's what I would tell my younger self. And even though we're not completely old, we are at that point where... This is when it starts changing, right? If you're not thinking about your health and how you move, you start to see the effects of that. So oh, absolutely. I'm, yeah. So I'm at that point now where, you know, I understand that I ain't, 20, I ain't 22. I can't run the way I used to. But every other day I'm going to get on that treadmill and I'm going to put my 20 minutes in and I'm going to stay consistent, you know? Yeah. You know, so that's what I would say. And I would want to say that to anybody who's hearing this and, is wanting to do music and whatnot. Work your ass off, but stop sometimes and breathe. Right. So what's next coming up for you? Man, it's so much, man. So I'm currently in my job right now. I work at the Cranberry Arts Foundation. I'm a director of residencies with more to come um, in my role, in my job position. So right, it's, my life is really, you know, broken into, I think, about three parts right now when it comes to my creativity. The first part is lifting up the St. Louis infrastructure. I'm big on that. I'm involved in that. I'm passionate about that. No, I don't want to go to New York. No, I don't want to go to LA or Chicago. Love to everybody in those markets, including you, because I know you're doing your thing. Yeah. I want to be in my city and I want to lift my city up. We just got ranked 20th as one of the best art cities in the country. I don't think that's you know, anything that's wrong. And we're going to only get higher because of what we do. Where I'm working at, the Cranberry Arts Foundation, the Grand Center Arts District Forbes just said that we are the best emerging arts district in the country. I'm positioned to really help lift that. So that's a passion of mine. And for any young artist that has questions, I give them everything they want to know. Can't make you do it, but if you've got a question, I'm going to be there to support you. So I think that's a big part of my life. The second part is Pipe Isley, Ilphonics. We're not done, but right now we're on hiatus. I think everybody, when you are in a relationship for 20 years, you need a break, right? So yeah. right now, me and Keith, we're working on Pipe Isley. It is a phenomenal project. I think when you all hear it, you're going to love it because if you know me, you know I'm going to give you some quality stuff. We're getting it mixed down right now, so it's actually kind of out there with you. It's in L.A. Okay. Um, it's getting mixed. We're working with our manager to figure out how we're going to release it. We will be releasing songs in 2024. It's coming. I promise you, we, we, we're done. The recording is done. We might add one piece to one song, but that's an easy fix. You hear me? But that's kind of where I'm at with that. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, just personally on a creative tip, working with whoever I want to work with, you know, and doing some TV sync stuff. I've done that. And it's coming back around. So I'm doing that. It was so many people who were sending me projects 
seven or eight years ago. And I just couldn't do it because I wasn't in a place in my life where I could easily record. You know, I was trying to navigate taking care of my mother, you know, and most people who when they come back to me later and I talk with them, they can see and they understand it. And some people like you didn't work with me. I believe collaborations happen when the time is right. It's people I want to work. It's like it's not a good time. Cool. We still got love for each other. And when that time comes, we'll do it. So I think those are the major things in my life when it comes to creativity. You know, I'm all about helping others. I'm all about doing what's authentic for me. You know, and I'm excited to put out a new project in a different light. So, yeah. Uh, so just tell everyone where they can find you and find those projects. Yeah. So Pipe Isley will be on Instagram. We're going to have all uh, handles. So it's Pipe Isley, P-I-P-E-I-S-L-E-Y. Um, it's coming. You'll see that we've we've been putting up some controversial posts on TikTok and all that just to have oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah, but the name Pipe Isley was like immediately I was like, yeah, give him the pipe. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because that's our that's our tagline. You go get this pipe, right? Yeah. <laughs> you go get this pipe. So so that's a, a big one, man. Um, you can follow me personally. You can follow Ilphonics. We're on Instagram. It's kind of right now, we haven't been putting out content. We just it's just there. We own the space, but Ilphonics, I-L-L-P-H-O-N-I-C-S. It's funny, it's right behind me. Yeah. And then if you want to follow me and just kind of a little bit of my journey is Fallout Morris on Instagram. I activate that. I use Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is more for my people I, I'm personal and I'm cool with, you know. So I'm not really interested in having 70 million followers on my Instagram. I'm more interested in following the people that I really rock with, right? Right. Um, so Fallout Morris, F-A-L-L-O-U-T. M-O-R-R-I-S on Instagram. And then I'm on Facebook as Larry, as Larry Morris. But if you really want to peek into my personal world and I'm cool with you and, you know, I like your profile, follow Morris is, is where it's at. But we'll be doing a lot of stuff through the Pipe Isley channels in the next four to six months. So, yeah. All right, man. Well, it was a pleasure having you. I, I'm glad we could sit down and, like, have this discussion. Because, like, I learned so much about you. Like, even I was telling a lot of people, it's like, it's like I work with all these musicians, but I, like, never get the chance to sit down and talk to any of them. Like, we never, because we're always just focused on the project, so we never actually talk about our lives. Yeah. And that's when the great music comes, when you get to know people. And you get to know how they roll. So then when you get that right track or that right concept, you're like, you know what? I was just talking with E the other day and we talked about this. Let's do this, you know? Oh, so, yeah. yeah. This has been Elemental with yours truly, Mel Binion, a.k.a. Amelio. Be sure to follow the podcast, like and subscribe, and tune in next time when we go deeper into the elements of music with another guest. This is a classic with a tactical infusion of evolution by the maestro, the icon, 